How to scale your SEO content while reducing your time and costs 10x with Julia McCoy. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps scale your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. Is AI capable of writing long-form content by itself that you can publish in a set-and-forget manner on your blog? And if so, how do you do it? And is it a good idea? That's what we're discussing today with a lady who's been named in the top 30 of all content marketers worldwide. She's exited a 100-person writing agency she spent 10 years building, and she's currently president at Content at Scale, leading big initiatives for one of the fastest growing AI content writing tools for SEOs and marketers. A warm welcome to the InSearch SEO podcast, Julia McCoy. Hey, David, it's so great to be here. Hey, Julia, thanks so much for coming on. Well, you can find Julia over at contentatscale.ai. So, Julia, why is it a good idea to embrace AI for content? Oh, my goodness. It is the question of the hour, I think. You know, what we're seeing um, personally for me, the reason I adapted was the time savings in using AI. You just get a percentage of your time back and it feels like your life back whenever you use it correctly. You know, it's all about the right tools for the right purposes, like ChatGPT for great headlines and the right AI writer for long form content. So if you match up the right AI tools with your output, you can save so much time, right? If you do it incorrectly, you actually add time. So it is important to find the right tools for the process that you want to save time on. Question of there, I'd say question of 2023 probably and, and perhaps beyond as well. Exactly. <laughs> Does Google not hate AI-generated articles? That was a concern in 2022, especially when, you know, in April, they clearly said there was a headline in Search Engine Journal you know, AI content is against our guidelines. That was the headline. And then in October, Danny Sullivan was found on Twitter saying, we've never said AI content is against the rules, basically. And so they backtracked. And then that fall, their guidelines completely changed. They took out, you cannot use AI to create content. They took that completely out. And then it all became about spam. So you cannot use AI to create spammy content. That was their stance. So if you look at it now, as of February 2023, their guidelines, the Search Central blog, it all says very clearly, we don't care how you create that content. Just make sure it's helpful. Make sure it's educational. Make sure it has personal experience, that E in EAT, that extra E. So in short, you know, they don't care how it's created. You can use AI. AI is coming to search. So I'd say Google is actually embracing it rather than demoting it. So it's definitely time for us to embrace it as well. You mentioned EAT there as well. SEOs love acronyms. Techies love acronyms. What is AIO? That is a, an acronym, as you said, that we at Continent Scale came up with. You know, we're just um, really a bunch of geeks putting together what we hope is the best long-form writer for SEOs. And so AIO is our approach to instead of having a writer create that first draft, which can take seven plus hours a week of work, that long form 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 word mega guide that you want to put on your site to increase traffic. So instead of a writer, you're going to use AI to create the first draft. And then the human will now be in the role of optimizer. So that's that O part. So, you know, if you, if you adapt to that approach, you can save 
Sometimes we're seeing seven to 10 hours per piece of content by having the writer basically sit in the driver's seat of the AI machine. And of them, because they're a great writer, they're very capable, if they have that experience, then they're going to know how to drive that AI machine best, how to optimize that content for the acronym EATS and all the other good things that you need to have in your content. So um, you talked about humans being the editors. Should humans always be the final editor of AI-produced content? I think so. You know, I think until AI gets to a place where it can tell us personal experience, and by that I mean, you know, if you're reading a review about, let's say, a deep dish pizza in New York City, well, the AI is never going to tell you how that pizza tastes. They can try. (laughs) But a robot, do they actually have that sense of taste? Have they had a human experience with that human that's running that pizza place? No, they likely haven't, and they likely never will. So that's why we really think in the end, you still need a human adding that E, adding that personal touch to your content. Otherwise, you know, who reads your content? Google even acknowledged this in the IO keynote. People want to hear from people. That's what needs to happen in the end. So you definitely need somebody, whether it's a writer, an SEO, you optimizing that content to make it personal. So what's the difference? I mean, obviously you act on behalf of content at scale and you know exactly how that system works. So what's the difference between that system and an SEO, for example, using GTP4? Yes, great question. I love this question. So content at scale is really a proprietary technology built on the back of these LLMs. It's actually a stack of three different NLPs, plus it has its own semantic analyzer. So it goes and looks at the top of Google, parses those results, and then puts that into the content it writes. And the content it writes is also undetectable. It's fully original. It is not plagiarized. You can check it with Copyscape right there in the app. And coming from 10 years of content, you know, all my writers, I would check, run their content through Copyscape. It was just one of my values. This content has to be not plagiarized. You know, you'd be surprised how many writers plagiarized. Not good. So I love that all these things are actually built into this tool. It's, I would say, one of the only tools on the market that has that much built in in one interface. So inside the editor, you have your AI score. You have your plagiarism score from 0 to 100. Is this plagiarized? Is it not? So you get to know at a glance the integrity of this AI-written content. And then, of course, you have three different NLPs writing it. So it's not just, you know, not just another API call to chat GPT, which... Oh, let's face it. A lot of paying tools are, they're not too much greater. Just go use ChatGPT. But for this one, you know, it was built for long form content. So I'm in the UK, you're in the USA. There are lots of different versions of the English language spoken across the world. Is it possible in content at scale, for example, to ask the AI to write in a UK type of English? Yes. And this feature, it just launched and it's getting better like as we're talking as of this week. So you can actually pick in the project settings from, I think it's close to 100 different languages, including different variations of English. Because that is important to our users, right? Like we have some writing Australian English. Well, that's very different. You know, uh, UK English is very different than American. So that is something that is built into the app because we know that's important. Yeah, I mean, Australian English is based upon UK English and probably closer to UK English than USA English. But um, there are different phrases, um, abbreviations used in Australia that is unique to Australia, certainly as well. So it's good to be able to write to 
the local audience and write with them in mind, certainly. And in terms of the structure of, of articles, um, I, I've had a quick look into the, the style of articles that you produce with different quote sections and summaries and bullets and um, in article links from the top. Is, uh, uh, what is the optimum structure of a long form article that Google is looking for, do you think? Yeah, so I study this. I Some of my books have a breakdown on this, taught courses on this. The structure is critical. So you can't just write, you know, 3,000 words and put, uh, put together what we were all taught to do in school, which was the essay. Like, <laughs> that just won't work at all. You probably not even get ranked. So the structure is critical. And what you need to have are subheaders and then tertiary headers. So you need H2s that are clear about the summary topics. And it's not just like a two-word header. You know, it needs to be like a long header with your keyword, ideally, in that header as well. So if you're talking about how to groom a dog, well, you don't just want to, you know, write about it and then write five steps and then be done. You really want to think about how to structure that piece. So maybe you have an intro about the benefits of keeping your dog properly groomed at a certain season or time of year. And then you go into the tools and you have a section just on the tools and there's a subheader for that. And then you have like 10 steps on how to actually do it. And then at the end, you're reinforcing your service or your offering that you teach them how to do it or they can book you to do it. So the structure is critical. It definitely takes a lot of thought. And that's something that Content Scale actually has inside the tool is it writes that structure for you, which is, you know, saves so much time. Is there anything that AI content shouldn't be used for? I would say if we go back to that personal experience factor, you know, I know a lot of marketers are training ChatGPT to know their experience. They're giving it, you know, their life history. I think that's a great way to train the AI model, especially if you're using like ChatGPT. But I think that also it, the thing I would be careful of is over-reliance. You know, if you're using an AI tool to do everything and you're not proofreading it because AI is the latest and greatest, well, then you're missing out on some value because you can build a lot of trust with your readers whenever you get in that driver's seat or work with the writer and really get them to add in that personal experience. Because nothing beats your own experience. You know, in the end, that's what people want to hear. They want to read that in the content. That's going to be your it factor, what gets that content to stand out. Like this book you wrote, David, it has your perspectives in it. It has, you're on the front cover. You know, if it wasn't like that, I probably wouldn't love your book as much. <laughs> so it's that personal touch. Like we can't give that away to the robots. We just can't. Okay, I hope that's good news. And um, I was kind of <laughs> going to ask a question in relation to that because um, I know the content at scale works by taking a video URL or a podcast link and being able to generate content directly from that. What about the actual podcast episode? Can you see a stage in, in a couple of years' time where AI is also generating video content and long-form audio content, the, the type of long-form content that is probably discussion-based, probably similar to this? Uh, or uh, am I relatively safe uh, for, for the next couple of years anyway? <laughs> You know, um, that's a great question, too. There's a lot of AI tools out there for audio and video, Synthesia, a lot of AI avatars where you can just feed the AI the text or the style. And here comes this AI robot that'll read the whole thing, connect with your audience. And, you know, they're putting that on websites. And 
I think in certain verticals it works really well, especially, let's say, <laughs> very meta here, but let's say you're in the AI industry. Well, you should definitely use AI in your marketing because people will more, they will tend to expect that. They'll be like, oh, this is an AI avatar. Well, this is an AI company. Makes sense to me. But if you are wanting to build authority, if you're wanting to collect um, an audience and grow that audience around what you know, then like you're absolutely safe. And I would just use AI to really augment your time. So, you know, for example, I used to spend a lot of time in video and audio editing, and now I have AI tools that make that a lot easier. But the actual person that we go, like when we go to our podcast app, we look up the podcast we want to hear, you know, we're looking for people. Like it really comes down to that. And I do not think that fundamental, which has been true since the history of the world began, will ever change. You know, in the end, like we want to know what's David's perspective as a host? What is he going to ask the guest today? And that's why we tune in, not because here's an AI avatar driving the conversation and there's no feeling, there's no heart attached. So I do not think that fundamental will change. So I guess I'm saying you're safe, David. <laughs> <laughs> For now, anyway. Yeah. Good news. For now. <laughs> <laughs> Should SEOs be concerned that AI content will actually diminish the value of content as a whole? Because so much content will be produced. Google will have to choose between thousands of pieces of content on the same topic as to which piece of content to rank. And it's going to become, you know, uh, increasingly a, a race to the bottom to attempt to rank, uh, rank an article in a, a very long tail uh, keyword phrase. Yes, that is a great question. I thought a lot about that, um, you know, especially taking this role, working in the leading AI writer for SEO, you know, and what I suspect is that in December of 2022, when Google added that extra E for experience to EAT, which is expertise, authority, and trust, well, they added experience. What is experience? Well, Google defines it. It's your personal experience on the topic. For example, if you're going to write about skydiving, well, you should have gone skydiving. And Google says this kind of stuff in their guidelines very clearly, like, who would you rather read from? Somebody that went to the restaurant or somebody that just wrote about it? And it's funny because they could have said a bot that just wrote about it or a real human and it, you know, I, so I, what I suspect Google did when they added the extra E was they were trying to get ahead of what you just described, which is an onslaught of content that's going to hit SERPs now that everyone and their mother and their grandma can now access AI and create content in a second. So there is going to be an onslaught of so much crappy content. But when Google added the extra E, I do think they were forecasting and preparing for this. So if we are using AI to create content, and I am like all of my content now, it's AI augmented, you know, sometimes by 80%, AI is writing this content for me. But in the end, if we give up the seat and we let AI drive our content and we don't maintain adding that personal touch, then that's when I think we are in danger of losing that e, that experience. And that's really what Google wants to see whenever they go to rank this content. Like, is there experience involved? Is it clear to the user that there's going to be a lot of value, that there's going to be a human speaking to the end human, like Google said in their keynote, even when SGE came out? And I think this means there's lots of opportunity. You know, I see the bright side. Like, if we are clear about adding our personal experience to everything that goes out and really, like, putting our stamp on it, our own personal touch, our story, who we are, you know, keeping that intact, then I think we will have such a chance 
to be at the top of that ocean of crappy AI content that Google is going to have to sift through. So talking about that human element then, would you say good practice would be if a content writer within an organization is is using a tool like yours to produce the content and then editing the content a little bit afterwards, would you say it's good practice to associate a notable real life human with that content and say that the article has been written by them and maybe include links to their social profiles on the article to give you that extra little bit of credibility in the eyes of Google? Oh, 100%. You know, and I've read through the EAT acronym, um, how they define it. And Google has even mentioned social media and forum posts as being able to weigh in to the experience factor. And so I do think like where that author is mentioned, what are they saying on LinkedIn, social media? Are they true to their topic? So for example, you know, whenever I stepped into content at scale, it was really a perfect match because here comes this content marketing expert who has previous history writing about this topic, 10 years of it, and we can just put her as the author on the blog. So I'm the main author. And it's funny because if you go to continentscale.ai forward slash blog, 80% of that is written by the AI, but it's attributed to me. <laughs> so I'm saving lots of time. I was just going to follow up with that question. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Superb. Okay. Well, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Oh, I love this question, David. I know you gave me a preview of it. I was like, yes, best question. So the underrated fundamental of doing content consistently, I will tell you time and time again, it wins out. It is that it's, it's in that 80-20 where you get 80% of your results from doing your content. So just putting out great content consistently, you know, I talked to an agency owner, he got his client to rank for a two word keyword with, I think, 15 blogs that were all strung together under a pillar piece. Like all it took was 16 pieces of content and he ranked number one for this two word keyword, two phrase keyword. So don't underestimate content itself, you know, creating consistent, valuable content showing up every week on the blog, the podcast, whatever format you do. Just be consistent and don't give up because it can be really easy to think, well, there's crickets, nobody's listening, nobody's reading. But when you do it consistently, you build this library that really pushes your brand forward. So, you know, I joined a company called Continent Scale. It's funny because <laughs> scaling content is really what I believe in. It brings results. And a bonus question. What percentage of your time should be spent on marketing your content versus producing your content? Ooh, great question. You know, I think this differs depending on the stage you're at. If you're new, I would put 80% of my time into creating content because you just need to get that out. Don't worry about it being perfect. Don't worry about promoting it. Just get that content built. If it's like you just have five blogs, you need to get to 50 and you need to hit that mark to really start building topical authority. But if you're at a place where let's say you have a few hundred pieces of content, then you can spend time in marketing it. You know, whether that's developing an evergreen email sequence to send to your new subscribers, or maybe you go back through it, you update it, make sure that content's good. Maybe you hook up a automated social media sharing tool to it. But yes, definitely think about the stage you're at and really go after getting it out if you're new. And then think about staggering and adding in more promotion once you have more content out. 
I've been your host, Heather Bain. You can find Julia McCoy over at contentatscale.ai. Julia, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thank you, David. So was fun. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.